Welcome to the Deep Light Podcast from Park City's Presbyterian Church. This is a space for community, healing, hope, and education around topics of rescue and growth. Our prayer for this series is that it illuminates a deeper understanding of struggles within and around us, as well as God's profound love and redemptive light in Jesus Christ. I want to welcome you to our podcast. My name is Mark Davis. I serve as one of the pastors of Park City Presbyterian Church. In this series of podcasts, we've been talking about mental health, particularly what does it mean to be people living in a fallen world, a broken world, where all of who we are is impacted, and where do we find our hope in Christ, particularly as we deal with issues of mental health. So I'm very grateful today to have my friend Paul Miller with us. Uh, He has been a part of this church for a long time. Since 2019, he's been serving in a ministry called Metanoia, which is to inmates. And uh, he'll tell you more about that in a little bit. But what we really want to talk about is just his story, his faith in Christ. And something I've always admired about Paul is the deep love he has for Jesus and for people. And I've not met many people who have the same level of love that you have for people knowing the good news of Christ. So we want to welcome you today. And Paul, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So let's begin by... Tell us about your family first, and then I want you just to launch into your story, your story of coming to faith, and just a relaxed conversation about your journey and the highs and lows of that and mm-hmm. how Christ has met you. Well, I'm married to the lovely Laura Miller, not the mayor, former mayor of Dallas. Uh, Laura King was her maiden name. Mm-hmm. And we have one son, Jack. How old is Jack? And Jack is 12 years old. And so we are very grateful for Jack. Uh, We wanted more kids and had Jack, and then Laura was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And then on the heels of that, I received a diagnosis of my mental illness, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But uh, very grateful for my wife. Mm -hmm. She has been the rock for our family in many ways and has stood beside me in all of my ups and downs in my victories and in my defeats. Uh, She has shown me the love of Christ and so has her family. My in-laws Don and Joanne King and Kristen King and Matt and Peter and their wives have been very kind to me and gracious and merciful and come alongside of me. And so I've, I have a great support and a great network among my family. Which is sweet to talk about because all of our struggles, no matter what they are, whether it's centered on a physical part of brokenness, mental part of brokenness, relational, it impacts other people, you know, mm-hmm. in insignificant ways. And you guys have been through a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. from your wife's uh, diagnosis with cancer and that battle, um, to you being a part of RUF staff and then beginning to work for a church mm-hmm. and then now you're involved in this ministry. It's been a really interesting journey, mm-hmm. but I've seen God's faithfulness mm-hmm. to you, but also his faithfulness moving through you to other people, which mm-hmm. I think is really remarkable. Well, let's start by talking about when you came to Saving Faith. Tell us a little bit about your testimony. I was at a, I was very young, Mark, when the Lord drew me to himself. I heard the gospel growing up in my home, but I remember being at a vacation uh, Bible school 
put on by a Baptist church in our local, uh, in our town. Where did you and grow up? I grew up in Salisbury, Maryland, okay. down on the eastern shore, Delmarva Peninsula. Mm-hmm. And I uh, heard the gospel presented, and I believed. And I think I believed before then. Mm-hmm. I remember at a young age, standing at my a bedroom window looking out and thinking to myself, God made all of this. Mm. God put this here. And it wasn't just a God, it was the God, Mm. the only God, the God of the Bible. And so I professed faith in a very, the Baptist tradition of bow your head, raise your hand, say the prayer. And I did that. And I remember a year later, I told my father that I wanted to be sure that I was a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I remember him leading me to his bedroom, and we knelt together and prayed again. And I was very young. At the age of eight, I remember looking at the senior pastor uh, of my church, preaching and thinking to myself, having the realization, I'm going to do that one day. Did you really? Yeah, it was that young. Wow. That's my memory, that it was at the age of eight. Yeah. And uh, I sensed a calling to ministry, always sensitive to the things of the Lord, mm-hmm. loved the, the Bible stories. My father would read uh, through the scriptures or take us through family devotions. We called it family devotions. I know we call it family worship now, mm-hmm. but uh, family worship, he would lead us through the stories of the Old Testament and mm-hmm. New Testament. I loved it. And I remember being sensitive to my own sin. I remember getting in fights in the neighborhood, and in one particular instance, I won the fight uh, quite handedly. <laughs> I had to learn how to throw a punch at a young age in my my neighborhood, <laughs> but uh, I remember breaking down and crying over it mm-hmm. and telling God, I don't want to be this way. It broke your heart. It broke my heart yeah. to to strike another human being like that. Mm. Now, I can't justify the fact that I'm still a boxing fan, but there you go. <laughs> we live with contradictions. <laughs> we do. That's true. So when did you uh, begin to sense, okay, I am being called into vocational ministry. In other words, I'm going to go to seminary. I'm going to be ordained. I'm going to serve God in his church as an ordained pastor. Tell me about that journey. Well, that really began at age 13 or 14. Mm. I went on a missions trip to Jamaica. Mm. Youth pastor baptized us, uh, my brother and I. I'm a twin. Right. And he's in ministry as well. And um, after that trip, I I made up my mind I was going into ministry. Mm -hmm. Now, I was in the Pentecostal church at that time, and Mm -hmm. I thought I would serve in the Pentecostal church. So I ended up at age 17 David and I, my brother, twin brother, uh, ended up at Christ for the Nations Bible Institute. Here in Dallas? Yep. Okay. And um, people ask me, how did I get to Dallas? Well, I was chasing a girl who was going to Oklahoma. That happened to a lot of people. And uh, I got here, and she broke up with me, but I stayed. So I I got to Christ for the Nations, and one of the uh, instructors handed me a commentary on Galatians by Martin Luther. Really? And there began a radical change in my understanding of the gospel. I had heard the gospel growing up. I had heard justification by faith alone, in Christ alone. 
Uh, however, I received really bad teaching about losing one's salvation, mm-hmm. about a second blessing that can come that can propel you into a place of living so far above sin that you don't even struggle with it. That's how I interpreted it. Mm-hmm. And that's how, what it was modeled in front of me. It was a lie. Mm-hmm. It wasn't true, but that's what was modeled for me. And so that's a part of my story, too. But anyway, at Christ for the Nations, I began to, uh, after reading that commentary, I, t- I told David, I said, there's things about the gospel we did not hear. Hmm. It was a depth of grace. It was the, the length to which God went to you're rescuing a, us. So you're reading Martin Luther's commentary, and how old are you? I time? just turned 18. So you just turned 18. Somebody's mm-hmm. put that in your hands. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And so you're beginning to discover grace. Yeah. You know, in, in a way grace. that I'd never heard it or understood yeah. it. And so we went digging for more writings. And <laughs> the library at uh, Christ of the Nations was full of Reformed writing. Mm-hmm. And so we tried to read it. We didn't understand it. So we got our hands on J.I. Packer, Knowing God, and R.C. Sproul, Holiness of God, and Chosen by God. And that's where my journey began towards the Presbyterian Church. I went to Dallas Baptist University, received my uh, undergraduate degree there, and then um, went to Westminster Theological Seminary. In 2001, so the, the journey from Pentecostalism to Presbyterianism uh, was quite a journey that include, included four years at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship and where I, I received some foundational teaching that I needed. Uh, but I continued into studying, I continued my study in uh, Reformed theology and I ended up in 2000 at PCPC here under Skip Ryan. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty remarkable story just in terms of your own theological upbringing, mm-hmm. uh, exposed to a lot of different things. And then the Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. in Reformed tradition, which is what we're part of, John Calvin was n- known as the theologian of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people think, no, that's just the Pentecostal mm-hmm. church and certainly isn't true. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And how he has illuminated your heart and mind on all these truths has been pretty remarkable, Mm -hmm. particularly as it moves into your story. And we'll get to that in a minute in terms of some of the brokenness with the mental health stuff that you've uh, really been challenged with, but God's led you through. Mm -hmm. So you end up at our church, Park City Presbyterian Church. Skip Ryan's the pastor. You're growing, you're learning. When did you begin to sense that, okay, uh, Reformed University Fellowship, RUF, is going to be something that I'm going to pursue. Well, I fought that for a while. Uh-huh. Why did you fight it? Well, I was intimidated. Uh-huh. And I did not have a traditional college experience. I lived off campus. I worked full-time. When I moved to Dallas, we moved. We came here with the clothes on our back and a little bit of money mm-hmm. and uh, a will to survive and, and make it. And we grew up poor. We didn't have financial support from back Mm -hmm. home. Uh, The church did send a few care packages, which helped. But I worked my way all the way through Bible college, all the way through college. And even in seminary, uh, I worked. But um, it was my wife that kept, again, God has used her in so many ways. Men, listen to your wives. (laughs) (laughs) 
she just said, you would make a great RUF campus minister. And I was dead set against it. I'm not doing that. And uh, it was one day I was with a fellow seminarian, and I don't know what I said, but he could not stop laughing. He was in my truck. We were driving to lunch, and he looked at me. He said, you'd make a great RUF minister. And I thought, well, maybe Laura's right. So I thought, well, I'll give it, I'll give it a shot. I'll, actually, I was at that point, I was at Trinity Presbyterian doing my internship. Mm-hmm. And so I had to raise money to go to uh, Trinity, and the money was raised within a lunch period. The pastor said, John McCracken said, you're going. Yeah. We're going to send you. So I went there and fell in love with the ministry, fell in love with the philosophy of ministry, and uh, told Laura after the first day, yeah, this is what we're going to do. So, so I, when my mind's made, I, I, I make decisions really quickly. I proposed to her on our second date. So, <laughs> Did she say yes uh, She did on the second date? Yeah, but we didn't tell her family. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been wise. Yeah. I did not know that about you guys. So for those who don't know about RUF, RUF is the Presbyterian Church in America's campus ministry. Uh, it's on campuses you know, all over the country. And something unique about it is it has a campus minister. So an ordained minister is the one who serves as the lead of that ministry. And then often there's interns that participate in that as well. So you went through assessment. Laura encouraged you to do that. You sense this is what I've been made for. And then tell us about your first campus where you went to serve. Can I tell a quick story about assessment? Absolutely. They, I, I passed assessment and I told them I will go but I will not start a work. I absolutely will I mean, not you want to go, go to a work that's I already go, established? Yes, I want to go to a work that's already established. Again, fear. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, actually, you, you came out through your our assessment of you as a person that would be perfect to go start a work. <laughs> so um, it's amazing all the things I've told God I won't do yeah. that I get to do. <laughs> I like how you said that, and, I get to do. Yeah, he makes me do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... Um, so in 2008, I graduated from Westminster, and uh, we set off for Corpus Christi. I had never heard of Texas A&M Corpus Christi. I'd never been to Corpus Christi. And, uh, but there's a long story there, but the church had been praying for years. The elders had been praying for years. For of the a, local church for, there. For, for a campus minister to mm-hmm. come, a Southside Community Church, mm-hmm. PC, local PCA church. And so we received the call, and <laughs> RUF said, well, Tim UCC, Texas A&M Corpus, isn't on our radar, but they really want you, so what we're going to do is we're going to give you a two-year trial period. You go down there, and you demonstrate that you can gather students, and uh, you raise $30,000 and hand us $30,000 at the end of two years. And um, then you can be RUF. And they were gracious to me. They let me go to all the trainings. Uh, they allowed our students to go to summer conference. But that lit a fire in me because I felt like oh, they don't think I can do it. Uh-huh. And I've kind of always had that. Little chip on the shoulder. Yeah, chip on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. I'm a poor kid growing up. Nobody believes in me. My the Holy dad, Spirit chip. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh-huh. And uh, I don't know if I'd call it that. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you're always battling 
my father's inferiority complex. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, I'm going to show them. And did and, you? Yeah. Within <laughs> six months, we had the 30, we had over $30,000. And our, our students, uh, we couldn't fit all the students into our home. But that wasn't because of the chip on Paul Miller's shoulder. Mm-hmm. That's because God was determined to use me in spite of me. Yeah. And, but he was going to do something in me far greater than he was going to do through me. Mm-hmm. So what was that? Talk about that. Is mm-hmm. You continue that ministry there. What's the next couple chapters look like? Well, I think you have to back up. If I can back up to my childhood for just a moment. Of course. We lived... My father was an alcoholic. He was undiagnosed bipolar. I, I have no doubt about that now. Uh, my family, there was mental illness on both sides of my family. And my attitude growing up was, I'm not going to be my father. In fact, staring out of that same window where, you you, saw where I God saw God's this. creation, mm-hmm. I looked out of that window at about age 11 or 12 and think, thought to myself, when I graduate high school, I'm getting out of here and I'm never coming back. Mm. And um, I was determined not to be my father. And growing up, looking back now, I can see all the signs of bipolar disorder in my own life. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. We Mm -hmm. kept secrets. My father was an alcoholic. You keep secrets. Mm When your parents are drug addicts or alcoholics, uh, you lie and you cover up and you become good at it. Mm -hmm. I went to a church where uh, the laying on of hands was the solution Mm -hmm. and praying in tongues was the solution. And uh, supernatural healing was the only healing that I really ever heard about, I think, in that context. Mm -hmm. Maybe my my memory fails me, but I remember my mother wanting to take us all to counseling at some point, Mm -hmm. and I just refused, Mm -hmm. just pride. So I get to Dallas, and I get from underneath of a lot of that, and I I get into the Presbyterian Church, and I discover Christian liberty. Uh, Growing up, I never touched alcohol. I hated it. Mm And so I took a drink and I thought, well, what's the big deal about this? And a lot of it was, again, that chip on my shoulder. It was an attitude of I'm rebelling against what I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget being in California when I was in seminary. I was I was in a manic phase. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sleeping. I was in erratic behavior. And I drank a gin and tonic. And I'll never forget, Mark, that when that alcohol, that was the first liquor that I had ever had Mm -hmm. that I can remember of that amount. Mm -hmm. And when that alcohol hit my system, everything went quiet. Mm -hmm. My mind went quiet. And I remember thinking, is this how normal people feel? Mm-hmm. I grew up my whole life guessing at what normal looked like. Because it was chaotic. It was chaotic. Mm-hmm. It was chaotic in the home. It was chaotic in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I couldn't concentrate in school. 
I thought I had learning disabilities. Teachers thought I had learning disabilities. Um, I had a mental illness that needed to be treated, but um, it was it was a perfect storm. A counselor told me one time, if I had not had David with me going through all of that, I probably would have lost my mind. Mm -hmm. And I believe him because my older brother did. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had that drink of alcohol, and I thought, well, this can help. Hmm. You know, I grew up hearing wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, mm -hmm. and they who are led astray by it are not wise. Mm -hmm. Very true. Mm -hmm. And uh, alcohol can be a good thing, but misused, it's, it's very dangerous. And there's many ways it can be misused. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll talk more about that in a minute. But yeah. So I get down to Corpus Christi, and I'm bound and determined to make it and to make this ministry work and to succeed and to be successful. But I needed something to balance me out. And so the drinking became, uh, it, was in, it became more and more mm -hmm. increased, more and more important to me. The ministry grew. The supporters kept pouring in. Mm -hmm. Invitations to come preach in churches were had them whenever I wanted them throughout mm -hmm. the summer. Relationships were good without within South Texas Presbytery, but I was dying on the inside. But nobody knew. No. Did Laura know? She saw the chaos. Mm -hmm. Did she see the drinking? Uh, as much as I would let her. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were times where she would think she grew up in a very healthy conservative, Presbyterian, mm -hmm. uh, Christian home where um, they have their own issues like we all do, but things were normal. Mm -hmm. Things were peaceful. Uh, I brought chaos mm -hmm. into our home. Mm -hmm. And she would think, am I crazy? Mm -hmm. uh, what, what's going on here? You know, it caused her to doubt her own sanity at times. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, but I could get up and preach. I could deliver a sermon. I saw students come to faith. Mm -hmm. God was using me mm -hmm. as broken as I was. That's his specialty, right? He yeah. uses crooked sticks. Uh, he strikes straight blows with crooked sticks. He uses broken people. Uh, but I was, I was dying on the inside because I was isolated. Mm -hmm. You know, solitude is something you talk about. Mm -hmm. That's important, mm -hmm. and it is important. And Satan wants to keep us from that, mm -hmm. those quiet places mm -hmm. of meditation and reflection. Mm -hmm. But he loves to lock us down in isolation. Yeah, and solitude and isolation are very different. Yes, they are. Yeah. But in my life, in my mind, they had become synonymous. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell the difference. Mm -hmm. And it was very dark, very dark where I would swing from manic episodes and I would drink to get myself down. And then I would go into deep depressions and I would drink to get myself uh, self up and out of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, that is a lethal combination. At that, at that point in your life, had you been diagnosed with bipolar or was it just something you were feeling, but you had no category for it really? No, because, I wouldn't allow myself to be diagnosed with it. I remember being on campus at DVU and a young lady told me I'm bipolar. 
And my immediate reaction was, that's not me. Hmm. Now, why? You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of self-awareness to think, well, why wouldn't your first question be, well, what's that like? Mm -hmm. Why would you say that's not me? Well, because I knew my family history well enough to know that that's that's in my genetic pool. And you said, I'm not going to be like that. Yeah. That's not going to be me. I'm going to run. Mm -hmm. That's my story. Run and work harder. Hmm. Run, uh, run from the difficulty, outrun it, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And you can have those beliefs and believe and love Christ too. Mm -hmm. They don't go together very well. Mm -hmm. One's going to win out. Mm -hmm. And, um, but you can't outrun your genetics. And so at 20, I remember being in seminary too. My, my brother was really struggling and he was in counseling. And I told him, I just, I'm not going to counseling. Mm -hmm. I can't deal with that. And what I meant by that was I meant, I can't deal with our, our past, our childhood, our father. And um, a lot of pain there, mm -hmm. a lot of dysfunction. And um, I just, I didn't want to deal with it. So your time is, um, comes to an end at, are you having Corpus Christi? Well, before we go. Yeah. Before we it's go. It's your story, there, however you want yeah. to tell it. So things became so bad that, and, and what, the medical field calls them triggers. Mm -hmm. There were things that were triggering me. I was bumping up against students that had tragic lives, mm -hmm. tragic stories, not all of them, but enough of them that it was bringing things to the surface, but it was coming out sideways because I wouldn't deal with it. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would just drink more. Mm -hmm. And it got so bad, though, my depression became so bad that an elder, after um, I performed my part of the service, confession of sin, adoration. I walked off the uh, chancel and I, I left and walked back into my office and he followed me hmm. and he sat there and Laura came back there and he showed me Jesus. Hmm. He ministered to me in a gentle and a kind way. Did he, did he just sense something was wrong or something? Yeah, he was... could see it. Hmm. So the worship service was still happening. Yeah, the worship but service you just was left. Because your left. part was over. Yeah, yeah, I left. And he said, There's a way forward and we can walk with you through this. Hmm. Uh, but I, I'm I had a lot of pride, Mark. Mm -hmm. I left home at seventeen. My narrative was I made it. Mm. I I was I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I dealt with my own problems my way. Well, so run and run work harder. And run work harder. Work harder. So that's run in place. Is he's meeting with you in your office? That's still pretty much yeah, your system of that's thinking. That's my mode of operation. Mm -hmm. But eventually, I did go to my doctor, and um, he put me on some antidepressants. And then another individual in the neighborhood gave me a book called Unquieted Mind. Mm -hmm. And she just walked up to me and handed it to me. Mm -hmm. We never had a discussion about bipolar disorder. It was about bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. She was a medical doctor. She could see it. Mm -hmm. 
anyone with any training or education, I think at that point could see it. Mm-hmm. Still, I refused to go on a mood stabilizer. What the antidepressant did was when I was in manic phases, it would shove me into higher manic episodes, hmm. even to the point where you may have to edit this, but I would crush at, at times I'd crush my, my antidepressant and just snort it. Mm-hmm. And a prisoner lay, asked me one time, how do you know, to, how did you know to do that? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we call that poor man's cocaine in here. Hmm. I was like, well, I don't, I'm, I have an addictive personality hmm. and a mental illness. And so I was a wreck, mm-hmm. but I was hiding and I was trying to live life on my own terms. So I left Corpus Christi, the, uh, the church that had called me overwhelming support, not one no vote, mm-hmm. uh, wanted me to come and they were excited about me coming and, mm-hmm. um, and God continued to bless our ministry there, the mm-hmm. youth group. I was an associate pastor, but I was also over youth ministry. That was revitalized in a lot of ways. We took two great trips to Colorado. Mm-hmm. We'd have them in our home. Um, a lot of people loved us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I tried to work very hard there. The pastor looked at me one day and said, I don't know how I'm going to get you to go home. But there it is again, run work harder, run, work harder. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I was, I was coming to the end. So your time there, uh, how did it end? You know, was it just, I got another call or did things just get bad and you had to leave? Tell me about that. No, in October, 2016, God said enough. Mm-hmm. He said enough running. He said, enough of your uh, self-empowerment, you trying to work your way through this in your own strength. And he took my life down to the studs by allowing me to blow my life up. I was on a youth retreat in October. This is difficult to talk about. Do you you want to talk about it? Okay. Because I, I, I haven't, but um, I was manic. And I, I'm assuming your audience, our audience knows what mania is. But Do you want, you want to define it real quick? Yeah. A manic episode is can be characterized by many different things. It looks different for different people. But for me, what it looked like, and there are similarities across the spectrum, but Mm -hmm. there is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. For me, it was, it would start with insomnia, not needing sleep, gaining energy from that. Mm -hmm. And so what was happening, happening to me physically was my mind was being flooded with dopamine. Mm -hmm. And I would not, I, I didn't need sleep, or I didn't think I needed sleep. And because of the dopamine, I would have moments of euphoria where the only way I know how to explain it to you, Mark, is everything seemed possible. Mm-hmm. Nothing, everything was magical. Mm-hmm. Everything had a deep meaning. Everything was beautiful, and anything that I tried to do, I'd succeed at. Mm-hmm. 
And so oftentimes in a manic phase in Corpus Christi, I thought I was getting a lot done. Hmm. I was starting a lot of different things. And, but um, Laura just saw chaos. Mm-hmm. And then the students, some students who got close to me saw the chaos. Mm-hmm. It also manifested in me in, in drinking. Bipolar people will use it as medication. Mm-hmm. That's a sinful way of, of reacting to it, but it's, it, it, it is what it is. It's how I used it. Mm-hmm. Um, speed, not, not the amphetamine, but getting behind, uh, getting in a vehicle and just taking high risks mm-hmm. on the highway. That just fuels that. Yeah, it fuels know, that anything that would fuel the energy. I would mm-hmm. chase the it. adrenaline rush. Yeah, the adrenaline. So, coming off of that adrenaline rush, life would become very boring, and that would launch into long depressive states. Mm-hmm. So, in October 2016, I was in a very manic state, and there were girls, and we were going to a youth retreat put on by the North Texas, some churches in the North Texas Presbytery. And there were young ladies on that trip that it was their first experience. Mm-hmm. And that breaks my heart. First experience on a youth trip. Yeah, yeah. first experience Retreat. on a youth trip. So I'm behind the wheel and I'm flying down 75. And there's always kids that will feed off that energy. Mm-hmm. And they're having a good time. So when you're saying flying, you've got Students in the van that you're responsible for, yeah. part of your church. And if the speed limit's 65, yeah. you're not going no, 65. I'm pushing it. Mm-hmm. And we have music blaring and loud conversations, and, and I'm the center of it. And these girls are on the back of the van, terrified. They're scared. And um, we get we get down there, and... I can't sleep. I sleep very little. The sleep that I do get, it's not restful. Mm -hmm. I'm sick with a sinus infection. I tell my intern, I'm going into town. I need some medication to try to knock this out so I can be present. Well, that was true. And I knew that I had leadership in place to be with the youth. But I'm not thinking clearly. In fact, one of the Young people looked at me and said, "Are you okay?" Mm-hmm. You know, it was obvious. If you looked in my eyes, in a manic state, I would be glazed over. Yeah, you're just not right. Yeah, I'm not right. You can't. No one can reach you mm-hmm. in a state like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I go off into town. I find the medication. One I didn't know at that point because I wouldn't listen. Um, that there's medications you can't take as a bipolar individual. And I, I grabbed a bunch of them mm-hmm. over the counter medications. And then I went looking for a box of tissues and right now, I, I do not know why in this Walmart, the box of tissues was right beside the alcohol, but I grabbed the six pack of beer mm-hmm. and I downed the medication down the alcohol. And I was sitting in the parking lot of the, where the youth retreat was at, and I thought, I'm not done. And from, I was out of control. Mm-hmm. And I, I took off, went back into town, and went on a, a drinking binge that scared a lot of people in town. Hmm. And um, 
I actually drank to a brownout or a gray out. And that's where your alcohol reaches, your alcohol blood content reaches to a point where uh, it begins to affect your memory. Mm-hmm. I was right on the edge of a blackout probably. Mm-hmm. And um, I, terif- I scared a lot of people. They called the police. I do not remember how I got back to the campus. I do and this whole time, you're, the vehicle you're using, is it the church van? Or it's rented. Rent rented it's van, rent it yeah. Van. I do remember crying out to God, hmm. God help me. Hmm. And he did. He sent police officers. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, they should have taken me to the hospital. They didn't know what to do with me. They called Laura. They asked Laura, is he a diabetic? Because diabetics can, I don't understand all of that, but they can... They can have uh, moments where they're out of their mind mm-hmm. due to what's happening with their body, body chemistry. Mm-hmm. So she said, no, he's bipolar. Well, I don't know if it's because there wasn't a hospital around. We were kind of out in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took me to the county jail. But the police officer ministered to me on the way. Hmm. I was handcuffed. On it. I mean, you were a youth pastor for many yeah. years. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Being let off in handcuffs. Cause so you're back at the retreat center yeah, I'm when they the arrest you. Center. So people around pe- seeing what's happening. They, they, people called on and they protected the kids as much as possible. But my, my intern had to watch that. Yeah, it's hard. And we were close. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just, I remember my head hitting the back of his passenger seat I I said out loud my life is over Hmm. and he said well I didn't expect him to say anything Mm -hmm. this is the police officer yeah this is the police officer he said well maybe not he said you you get the help you need you go take care of your family take care of yourself God has a way of changing these types of things Hmm. wow and I get to the uh, county jail and I make the one phone call to Laura and uh, Laura said Paul take a good look around you this is where your choices this is where your life has led you Mm -hmm. the willingness not to listen not to be open not to receive help and um they put me in a cell for the night, and <laughs> I asked for a blanket, and late officer came by, and she said, oh, honey, this isn't the Sheraton. This is the county jail. <laughs> no blanket. <laughs> no blanket. So Laura comes, picks me up with my father-in-law. Um, they embrace me, love me. Mm. My mother-in-law, I'll never forget, Joanne, just walked up to me, she could have said anything. Mm-hmm. I'd put them through enough hell mm-hmm. that she could have said anything to me and probably been justified in doing so. And she just said, uh, we're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went there to the psych ward. And from there, I went to uh, inpatient treatment for 30 days in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I came back. And I did not want to go into outpatient, um, but I did resign from the church. I wanted to make it as easy. I mean, they would have had to fire me, so mm-hmm. I just wanted to make it easy. And North Texas Presbytery got involved. Um, 
And for those who don't know what that is, that's basically in the Presbyterian Church in America, which is what our church is part of, that's the governing body mm-hmm. that oversees a particular geographic area and oversees the ministers. Mm-hmm. So when you say got involved, and I'm part of that Presbytery, so I know the mm-hmm. story and was, was there for that. That means they, they set up a way to care for you, mm-hmm. to get you right. Is mm-hmm. that fair to say? Yeah. And that began, that was in uh, January of 2017. So I'd burned my life down. Mm-hmm. I thought ministry was over. I didn't think there was any, any position for me ever again. And so my mind, again, Mark, it still had not, I'd still not quite relinquish, just work harder. I'm yeah. thinking, okay, now I got to provide for my family some other way. Well, God took all that away, and um, we had to sell our home in McKinney and move in with my in-laws. Mm-hmm. I mean, the narrative that I had written and believed about myself was just gone. Mm-hmm. This self-reliance, this uh, self-independent, uh, or independent, rather, uh, person that can do it all himself was gone. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I went through outpatient, and then PCPC graciously paid for inpatient. I went from being a, an associate pastor to driving Uber, and I would drive around the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex praying, mm-hmm. God, have mercy upon me, and please do not forsake the work of your hands. I know that he, I knew that he wouldn't, mm-hmm. but I pleaded with him anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, I could tell you a lot of stories, if you want to hear them, about manic and depression episodes. But um, let me just say this, that it's difficult to talk about. It's hard for me to sit here and talk about. Sure. But if you do not deal with it, it will kill you. Mm -hmm. I could have lost my life easily that day in Mm -hmm. October police officer told the senior pastor I worked for, he's very fortunate. Mm -hmm. He ended up in some places where he may not have, he shouldn't have gotten out of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and if you do not uh, deal with mental illness, it will destroy you and you cannot deal with it by yourself. Mm And that's one of the first lies, though. If you're the individual struggling with it, it's what's wrong with me, I can fix it. Mm-hmm. And that lie really does come from the pit of hell, just mm-hmm. like with any part of our life. I, I, I have enough power. I have enough determination. I have enough resources. I can do it. But you just you can't. In Christ, we have everything we need. Mm-hmm. But that includes availing ourselves of the means of grace that he gives us. Mm-hmm. That's his word. That's his spirit. But that's also other things such as counsel from mm-hmm. wise people who are saying mm-hmm. this is what you need. Right. Physicians who can understand what's going on with the mind and the body and the chemistry and all those sorts of things. So I know you had to learn a lot about that mm-hmm. as well as just the willingness to surrender to those who were put around you to care for you. Is that fair? Yes. And, and, and for in case it sounds harsh that I say God brought my life down to the studs or he... he that's love. <laughs> yes, it's discipline. And I love how Jim Pocta puts it. Let me get this right. Jim Pocta says, God does not discipline us to get back at us. He disciplines us to get us back. And he disciplined me to get me back. Mm-hmm. And he disciplined me through the church. 
mm-hmm. to get me back. And it was a loving discipline. Mm-hmm. It was kind and it was gracious. And yes, I had to learn through submitting to uh, the knowledge of counselors and doctors and people who've been down this road. Mm-hmm. And I had to be willing to open up. I had to be willing to talk about my story. Mm-hmm. And I still struggle with that. Sure. I'm, I'm finding that 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 I'm on that journey now. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to share it in prisons, and that's been very helpful for men. Um, but I'm realizing, I'm coming to realize that that God is redeeming this story. Hmm. He's redeeming it. And I, I struggle with when people say, well, your bipolar is your gift. <laughs> doesn't feel like one, but I understand what they're saying in that uh, God is taking the broken places of your life. He's drawing you to himself in deeper relationship, and he's using it to comfort others who are afflicted um, with the comfort that you've received from God. Hmm. And um, I'm gracious about that, but I, I'm grateful for that. But it is, it is still a struggle uh, to, at times, admit, yeah, I have this mental uh, illness, and um, I have to be willing to listen. Now, I'll tell you one thing that I have not struggled with since November of 2016, since I was an outpatient, I mean inpatient. I have stayed on my medication. And that has made all the difference in the world. And that's a big deal because sometimes people feel like I can stop um, without the directives of their doctors just because Mm -hmm. I'm either feeling better or still living with the shame of what's wrong with me if I have to take this. Is that Yeah. I didn't like the side effects from the medication. So I thought, well, I'll scale back because I knew of another individual who was on the same medication that I was, but on half the dose, dosage. So I scaled back. And <laughs> within a day and a half, Laura looked at me and said, what's going on? <laughs> she knew already. Well, I, think, I think that's part of uh, all of our journeys is just we still believe we are most wise. We mm-hmm. are in control. Mm-hmm. We have the power. Uh, to stop all that's going on mm-hmm. inside us and against us. And that common sense for believers of surrender, like I need to surrender to the Lord, whatever he's put around me, within me, the wisdom that he's given me, I need to pay attention to those things. Mm-hmm. And yet sometimes, maybe often, we, we struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And I think particularly the reason we wanted to do this series on mental health is within the church, there's just a sense of shame that is often associated with mental illness. And it shouldn't be that way, but it exists. It exists with individuals struggling with it, and often also in those who are either caring for that person or and or experiencing the wake of destruction that comes from their behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk about that for a little bit. How do you deal with shame? Or how do you deal with shame? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So... It's really important to understand as much as you can your family of origin, and it's, un, it's important to understand where you come from, meaning 
the people who've had the greatest influence on your life. And for me, that was the church, the Pentecostal church. Now, again, I was called to ministry, I believe, in that church. Mm -hmm. I was taught good things about the gospel in that church. I was taught bad things, Mm -hmm. things that were not true. But one thing that was demonstrated for me that was very harmful is if you're really spiritual, you, you have it all together. Mm-hmm. And where does it say that? What verse of the yeah, Bible? Right. <laughs> Mark chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Not, it, you won't find it. <laughs> Are you thinking of something? Thank okay. It's not there. Yeah. It's not there. Yet yeah, That's what we're duped into believing. Right. It's the lie. So the, the, we think we have to have it all together. I, I thought I had to have it all together to be of use in the kingdom of God, which fueled this bad theology of what sanctification looks like. And uh, what we believe is important. We know that. And so there is a shame that is that surrounds mental illness. Um, and I... I don't know why. I mean, we wouldn't criticize someone with cancer. Now, in some circles, they do. And you've talked about this in sermons, that Mm -hmm. if you have enough faith, the heresy, Mm -hmm. if you have enough faith, you'll be healed. Mm -hmm. We almost, do do we have that attitude about mental illness? Mm -hmm. Well, if you pray enough, if you get right with God, Mm -hmm. it'll leave. It'll leave. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. If you can get your cognitive understanding right, if you can think your way out, it'll leave, you know, mm-hmm. get, get your theological ducks in a row. I had them in a row. I, you know, I'm, I'm reformed, you know, I'm, um, and other people have good perspectives that are outside of our tradition. I'm not saying that, but right. I thought that that was the answer is what I'm trying to say. If I just get my theological ducks in a row, these problems will go away. They did not go away. They got worse and my shame grew, mm-hmm. and there is a stigma that surrounds mental illness in the church, outside the church. And in the church, I think a lot of it is we do not understand it. We're afraid of it. And, and then there's that belief system of it's all spiritual. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably lessening, but I think that's still there it's still present Mm -hmm. and i think it's dangerous that's really paul the primary reason why we wanted to do this uh, segment on mental health and mental illness in the church Um, these it's a collection of five or six podcasts if you're just now watching this one uh, there's uh, several others that we've done Um, we speak to a psychiatrist to two different counselors one on staff here one on staff at sparrow house uh, we talk to a couple of other individuals who have stories somewhat like yours, and we cover anxiety, depression, uh, OCD, a number of things. And that common thread of God's grace is sufficient. God will give you everything you need uh, is important. It is true. But the means by which he does that mm-hmm. often look very different. And we want anybody watching this or listening to this to know that if this is your struggle or if there's mental illness in your family, you have a loved one to call, call the church, call, Mm -hmm. let's get help. Let's try to put you in the right place where people can really tend to you and care for you and help you think rightly about the word of God 
uh, and rightly about what you might need um, mm. from a medical perspective or certainly a counseling perspective on mental health. And you asked me an important question. How am I dealing with shame? Mm -hmm. So I still have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I struggled when I found out what this interview was going to be about. Yeah. And I was very nervous about it because I allow voices to live in my head that say, you don't belong in ministry. Mm -hmm. Because there are people who've said that. Mm -hmm. uh, now, there were people who became very angry, and that's a natural response. Mm -hmm. That's understandable. Mm -hmm. What I did was destructive. What mm -hmm. I did was hurtful. What I did was sinful. Mm -hmm. uh, what I did was a result of years of my own pride and not listening. Mm -hmm. I understand that anger. Um, but I can't allow those voices to live in my head because I have been restored mm -hmm. by God's grace, by his goodness through the church, through the presbytery. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm living at a level of health that I've never known mm -hmm. before. And so I'd like to speak to your audience and say, if, if you will take that step out of the darkness of isolation, you will find that God will meet you there. Hmm. And God will meet you there with his people. And God will meet you there with the means of grace. And, and there is healing and there is restoration. There is salvation. What is salvation? It's healing. Mm -hmm. It's a healing. It's a restoration. It's a rescue. It's a rescue. Mm -hmm. uh, Christ, what did he come for? He came on a rescue mission. Mm -hmm. And uh, not just for human beings, but for the created order, mm. all of us, uh, the elect and the created order. And so, but you've got to take that step out of darkness. And um, Satan doesn't want you to do that. Mm -hmm. The enemies don't want you to do that. And he'll speak through, the enemy will speak through people to try to keep you locked down. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can't listen to that call the church, reach out for help. You talk about hearing voices. You know, we're not talking about, um, there is a type of mental illness where people hear voices, yeah, no, of course, but we're not talking yeah. about that. We're talking about just the intrusive thoughts mm -hmm. uh, that are often, I call them imaginary conversations mm -hmm. from people who don't approve mm -hmm. or who are critical, um, who, who don't think you deserve. And that those things can control your life. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we need the powerful daily work of the Holy Spirit to tell us the truth about mm -hmm. who we are in Him. And one thing we don't want to do, uh, e even on a Sunday morning, or certainly even through these podcasts, is create a picture of, well, now the bow is tied up all nice and neat, and your need to depend upon the Lord and surrender to Him daily is over. Because that's not the case. We live in that constant process of dying to self, surrendering to the Lord, trusting what his word says, that my power is made perfect in weakness. Mm -hmm. And we celebrate victory. You know, I celebrate the victory that you haven't stopped taking your medicine. Mm -hmm. I celebrate the victory that you can say today, I've never been this healthy. Um, but that doesn't mean it's still not hard. We may or may not have had a conversation a couple of days ago about a spat that you and your wife were having mm -hmm. as I was talking to you about this interview, right? Um, I chuckle because later that day, me and my wife had one. <laughs> it's just the reality of living in a broken world. Right. But the, the solution is that relationship with the living God mm -hmm. who is not done with us, mm -hmm. who is making us more and more like himself. 
So here's what I'd love to do to, to kind of wrap up this. Um, take a few minutes and describe the ministry that God has called you to. You mm-hmm. are once again back as an ordained minister, your credentials, right, of, mm-hmm. of who you are and how you've been received has been restored, which is beautiful because mm-hmm. it is a work of redemption. During that process, you went and worked at a hospital for a little bit, mm-hmm. and I know you saw some really, really dark stuff. Mm-hmm. And now you're called to go into a place where you see dark stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. So give us a few minutes on that. Well, uh, if I just touch on the hospital uh, for just a second, it, it was a, a chaplaincy program that I went through at Methodist, and I was, the reality of God calling us to the sick and to the hurting was just driven home to me there, and um, we need to be there. We need Christians going into hospitals and ministers working as chaplains in there. It is a huge mission field and an opportunity and a place of need. People are desperate. People are desperate. And people think that, oh, prison ministry must be the hardest thing you've ever done. It's not. It's hospital chaplaincy. Mm -hmm. So now in the prisons, I I do hear very difficult stories. I've received difficult letters. Um, The... I want to be sensitive what I say, but the the depravity there can be uh, shocking. Mm-hmm. But it's shocking out here too. Yeah. If 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 you're paying attention, and but this is this is what I I've I know that that the light of God's love and grace and mercy shines the brightest in the darkest of places, mm-hmm. and it is shining bright in the penitentiary mm-hmm. and the men and the women there mostly men that I've dealt with are hungry for the message of God's love and, and redemption and rescue mm-hmm. and uh, the opportunity is vast mm-hmm. will we step up and will we take it mm-hmm. it's a mission field mm-hmm. it's a mission field of a lot of difficult issues. You have a lot of mental illness there, mm-hmm. a lot of issues of addiction, and it's messy and it's difficult. And I understand why people don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And I understand why um, we why we don't want to go. It's, it's not easy. It's difficult. Uh, I've had ministers ask me, why would you sign up for a ministry like that? Well, God commands it. And also, he's given me a great love and affection for those men. And I know now, looking back over my life, how they have gotten to the place where they are. Yeah. Um, I wasn't, I was just a few steps away. Yeah. And, um, but I have been able to say to them, Christ has restored me. And he's able to restore you too. Yeah. Let's take that journey together. And the beautiful thing is um, because you believe it and they can see you believe it, mm-hmm. it gives them the hope to believe it too. Mm-hmm. God hasn't wasted your story. Mm-hmm. The wake of destruction, what took place, the effect of it on your family, um, on your friendships, in your church, 
Um, God has not wasted that. Mm-hmm. One thing I love, I remember Tim Tinsley used to say, you know, um, one thing you can count on when you hit rock bottom is it's solid. <laughs> and yeah. we know what he was referring to yeah. or who he was referring right. to. And uh, again, we don't know between now and when the Lord calls us home or returns what our story is going to be. Mm-hmm. But we know we are going to be tempted and challenged to not trust him, to not surrender to him, to do it on our own. The battle for you to not run mm-hmm. and work harder is not just suddenly gone away. It's mm-hmm. that constant fellowship with Christ, the union you have with him that gives you the wisdom and strength and knowledge to persevere through that and the need we have for one another. Uh, you are a great encouragement to me. Um, you text me, you will call me, you'll say something to me about something I said or did that was encouraging to you. I also know you'll challenge me if you sensed um, you're not abiding. I can tell, you mm-hmm. know, you're just not really resting in the Lord. That's the kind of relationships we need. And I'm very grateful for your willingness to share what you shared today. Um, I'm confident there will be other times in the future, perhaps, where we'll have more conversations about this or other things that we talk about on this podcast. But Paul, I really am grateful for you. I love you. Uh, I love you too, Mark. I'm thankful for Laura. Tell her how grateful I am. We're grateful that you're our pastor. Yeah, that's a joy. Thanks for watching. We are and listening. Um, I said it earlier, but if you're in a place where you have questions about what you've heard, um, I'm sure Paul would be delighted for you just to reach out to him. Um, Is there actually a way they could? Paul Miller? Yeah, sure. Uh, P. Miller. Well, let me. That's my work email. P. W. Miller 078 at gmail.com. All right. And maybe we can have that on the screen. Um, But call the church or call your church. Uh, Reach out to a counselor. Um, Have a conversation with someone so that you can begin to move towards the path of discovering what God can offer you uh, with all sorts of things that you might be struggling with. We really do care. We believe that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And the life that he promises is abundant. And that doesn't mean it's without challenges. Christ never promised to take take away our pain this side of heaven. But he has promised to give us himself. And he does. He's with us. He's in us. He's leading us. And he'll never forsake us. Thanks for watching and listening. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Deep Light Podcast from Park City's Presbyterian Church. We would love for you to be our guest this Sunday morning as we gather together for worship at 8, 9.30, or 11 a.m. We are located in the Uptown Dallas area at the corner of Oaklawn Avenue and Wycliffe Avenue. To find out more, please visit pcpc.org.